Well, it's Saturday night, and um, this is a, <clears throat> a night I would try not to hold you too late so that you can be refreshed with a little sleep, and then we'll gather again tomorrow morning. But tonight we'd like to, um, to talk about the holy people in the kingdom of Christ. And if you haven't caught it by now, that's you. That's us. We are that holy people. Um, when you gave Jesus lordship of your life, you changed citizenship. You know, it's a pain to be from a different country. <clears throat> Every time we go to Thailand, we have to, um, about six weeks ahead of time, send in an application for a Thai visa. Send them $200 so that uh, they'll give us a one-year visa. And then you hope it gets there before you leave. You have to send a letter along in with the invitation from the, from the foundation that we're part of over in, in Thailand. Send in other kinds of documentation and send all that in. And then they send you uh, your, your passport back with a stamp in it that says that you can enter, enter and leave multiple times from, um, from Thailand for the next year. So we get into the last airplane before we fly on into either Bangkok or Chiang Mai, and then they give us a slip of paper, and we have to fill that out and put that into our passport, and that's telling them um, what are all of our information so that they can take care of us because we're foreigners. We don't belong to the, the uh, country of Thailand. Then when we're in the country, we are there for, um, uh, it doesn't matter how long you're there, if you go out from your residence to go to a motel overnight or a staff retreat someplace, we have to take our passport along and have to show it to the motel or to the resort. And then um, they register us as being there because we're foreigners. And then when we come back home, we have to again let the government know that we're not at the motel anymore. We're back at, the, at our house. Every 90 days, whether we leave our house or not, we have to go and tell them that we're still in the country and sign some, some papers. And then when we want to leave, we have to write out another, another form that tells, tells them that we're leaving and when we're approximately planning to come back. It's a pain to be a foreigner. And tonight we're going to be talking about the fact that you are foreigners. You are part of a kingdom. That word is just a, the biblical word for country. It means the same thing. The country of Christ or the country of God. And being a part of that kingdom makes you a foreigner to every other kingdom on earth. You don't belong anywhere on earth permanently. Your residence, your citizenship is in heaven. And so we are strangers and pilgrims here on earth. 
Well, let's, um, let's stand together again. You thought you were going to be able to rest. Let's, um, let's read this together again this evening. We read it the first evening. Let's read it again. <clears throat> oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord, all ye earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and his people with his truth. Amen. Let's sing this song again this evening. <clears throat> Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, in the beauty of holiness, in the beauty of holiness. Oh, glory, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, come before his presence and glorify his name. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness in the beauty holiness in the beauty of holiness Oh, glory, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, come before his presence and glorify his name. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In the beauty of holiness, 
the beauty of holiness. Father, we thank you that we can glorify your name as citizens of your kingdom and that we're here tonight in this lifetime to declare the beauty of your holiness to the, the people of other lands, other countries, other kingdoms. Lord, so many people have been claimed as citizens of this world and this world system, but you have allowed us to be a part of your kingdom and you've asked us to represent that kingdom in a very special way. I pray that you would guide us tonight as we think about our part of this drama, as we might call it, that you've given to us first in Eden, then in the people of Israel. But Lord, today it's our responsibility. It's us that you want to be the the uh, illustrators of your holiness, the beauty of your holiness. So guide us as we think about that this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. <clears throat> Nonconformity is a word with some bad press, probably. And it's not a word that is maybe as... as um, emotionally exciting because we have maybe had some some misuse of it or overuse or un misunderstandings about it but um, nonconformity is a, a biblical concept and it's a part of who we are as as um, citizens of the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God the kingdom of Christ a verse that you are familiar with in Romans chapter 12, verse uh, 2. And be not conformed, that's the basis for that nonconformity phrase. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, the Bible is full, just full of this principle of separation. And as we've been trying to look at it back in the Old Testament, what God's intention was with Israel to make them a beautiful people that would show the world how beautiful God's holiness is. We saw it last evening in, in the Old Testament. And the whole Old Testament is just full of this. But this beauty will be distorted. I'm convinced if we focus on this top line of nonconformity, to the neglect of the bottom line, which is transformation. That's what the verse is saying. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. It's like the transformation is really the root, the, the, 
the foundation of this whole thing. And if we don't have that, then being nonconformed really becomes platonic, loses its meaning, and is going to be thrown out by the next generation. We want to understand the, the transformation. So that's why I think this whole un, this understanding of what our citizenship is is really important. Because most of us, if I would just ask you, are you an American citizen, you would raise your hand and say you're an American citizen. I probably would too. Um, although, there, like I said at the beginning, there's a real sense in which when I gave my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He became the King of my life. He's the King of Kings. In that commitment, I really, in a very real sense, a very practical sense, renounced my American citizenship, and I am now a citizen of a different kingdom. Now you say, well, we have dual citizenship. You know, we have a citizenship in heaven, we have a citizenship in America. The only way you can have dual citizenship between two countries is if they are not at war. If they're at war, you're going to have to declare your citizenship one side or the other. You can't say, oh, I'm a citizen of both places, so you can go back and forth across the borders even though everybody's shooting each other. You can't do that. You have to declare your citizenship if those countries are at war, not jumping back and forth. Well, just in case you didn't know, the the kingdoms of Christ are at war with the kingdoms of this world. And these kingdoms of this world are at war with the kingdoms of God and the kingdoms of Christ. So we're, our, our citizenship really is, in a very realistic sense, in another country, not in America. I'm not saying that to be disloyal. You, you know the teachings of Christ and of Paul, how we are to be um, honorable People within a culture, within a, a, a country, we're to pay our taxes, we're to pray for our leaders, we are to obey the rules and so forth. But there's a real sense in which our citizenship belongs to the kingdom, the country of God. Now, <clears throat> let's just talk about that a little bit. The transformation places me in a, a supra-culture, a, a different culture from what I have here on earth. The uh, kingdom of God... That phrase, only found in the New Testament, about 69 different verses, 32 of them, almost half of them, are found in the book of Luke, where he talks about the kingdom of God. That's talking about you and I. Uh, the church of Berea is a part of the, the kingdom of God. And there's some characteristics of this kingdom of God. I'd just like to highlight a couple of them. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 24, it says, And again I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into what? The kingdom of God. This is the kingdom you and I are part of. Um, so, versus, in, in these countries, in uh, the countries that we live in here on earth, any rich man is welcome. <laughs> Come on in. You know, we'd like to have you around. Uh, he provides jobs. He provides lots of money. We like to have Mr. Trump, right? This guy, he's got some money. <laughs> The rest of them are all broke, uh, and, and so we like to have him. The kings of this world like to have people that are rich. But the kingdoms of God, it says, 
it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Now, we can make all kinds of different interpretations of that. Uh, one guy told me over there in, in, I think it was in Germany, that they called this little bitty gate inside the big gate. That was the uh, eye of the needle. And so if you, you know, your camel couldn't go through it and all this stuff, you had to take everything off if you wanted to get through. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, maybe it's just that needle that you ladies use. <laughs> it's just pretty hard to get a camel through that one. Um, but there's just a difficulty in relation to uh, a rich man entering the kingdom of heaven. So this is the kingdom of God is, is a different kingdom from the ones that we look at here. Matthew 21, verse 31 says, Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Who is he talking to? The Pharisees. That's right. He's talking to the Pharisees. And with all their... Their rules and guidelines and so forth, and their, their condemning attitude toward anybody who didn't measure up to their standard. He says even the harlots and the, and the tax gatherers, the publicans, are going to enter into the kingdom of God ahead of you. Mark chapter 10, verse 15, he says, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Just some characteristics of this kingdom that you and I are part of that are so contrary to the policies and the, the guidelines of the kingdoms of this world. So kingdom of God, that's a common phrase in Luke. Um, in Matthew, it's the kingdom of heaven. I think we're talking about the same place. 32 times this phrase is used in Matthew. Um, talking about the, the kingdom of heaven. It says there in Matthew 5, verse 20, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Another characteristic of this kingdom you and I are part of. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. What are those weapons? Uh, again, you're fairly familiar with these, but uh, let's just quickly highlight them. They're beautiful weapons. They're not weapons that have got blood running off of them. They're not weapons that are, are designed to destroy. These are weapons that are designed to heal. These are weapons that are designed to, to bring uh, blessing and joy to those that are attacked by these weapons. The truth says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, making, having your loins girt about with truth. Is there anything more beautiful than truth? Well, maybe. But truth is one of those tremendous blessings that we need to have in order to operate in any community. It's so important. Having on the breastplate of righteousness, this whole thing of knowing what's right and what's wrong and walking in righteousness. That's another beautiful fruit of, of the kingdom of heaven. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Oh, what a blessing when you're in a congregation and there's peace instead of conflict or strife. When you're in a community that's full of peace. Goes on and you're taking up the shield of faith. Faith puts a smile on your face because the future doesn't look so horrible with faith. 
wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation. Salvation. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Your Bible. The Word of God. These are characteristics of the kingdom that you and I are part of. These are the, the tools that God is giving to us in this dispensation, in this time, so that he can show the, the beauty of holiness to the world in which we live. In uh, Ephesians, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. This is the characteristic of the inhabitants of this kingdom. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You know, I really am convinced that holiness only survives when it's in conflict with evil. Holiness only survives when it's in conflict with evil here in this world. Now, of course, it survives in God without evil being around. But here, the reason I believe that is that when we attempt to segregate holiness into some religious sanctuary or into some ghetto off by itself, if we take this holiness and keep it in the huddle, it'll never win. It'll never be useful. It'll never penetrate. And so it's designed for conflict. Holiness is designed for conflict. <clears throat> if it's in that huddle, if it's in that ghetto, it will only die. Now we need the ghetto, we need the huddle that we talked about the first night, but it can't stay there. The huddle is for designing the, the use of, the, of holiness as we go out. How are we going to present the beauty of holiness to our community? So holiness was never intended by God to be only in a maintenance mode. I think that's where our young people get so frustrated with this whole thing of nonconformity and what we might call holiness if it's only in a maintenance mode. They want to see it penetrate a community and penetrate those people around and change them. If there's no battle, it'll degenerate into kind of a reclusive irrelevance. Your armament was meant for battle. It wasn't meant for the closet. It wasn't meant for a museum someplace. Your, our armament is meant for battle. The beauty of Christ's holiness was not meant for the huddle. It was meant for the battle. Passion and zeal will be lost unless we see holiness as the armament for the Christian that's in the kingdom of heaven. You know, Jesus said in, in John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Three powerful um, statements. What he was saying in the, in the way is, the New Testament, uh, King James word is conversation. But that doesn't really capture what we think of in, in, in conversation. We think about that's what's going to happen when we're done here and when you should be going home and getting in bed. <laughs> no. Uh, conversation we think of as talking with each other. But conversation in the New Testament um, King James sense is your lifestyle. The way you live out your life. Um, Jesus said, I am the way. And he wants to demonstrate that way that holiness of his way through us. 
that way, the word way um, is hodos. And hodos doesn't mean just like this aisle, this pathway down here or the highway out going past the, the church uh, as, as something that's just um, uh, a, a thing. No, it's actually a, it has a sense of progress down the highway, movement down the aisle. I am your movement down the aisle. I am your ability to travel down the road. That's what that word is really talking about. It's your way of life. It's how you walk down the road, how you walk down the aisle. And that is the, the, um, the progress on the pathway of holiness that people are going to watch, that they're going to see. It's how you're walking down the road, how you walk down through life. It's an illustration of God's holiness. The second thing he said, I am the truth. The truth, that's your doctrine, that's your theology, that's your biblical thinking. Sometimes our conclusions are very contradictory to each other. They don't make sense. I think that's maybe a place where we've been a little weak in, in some of our Anabaptist tra tradition. We have really focused on how you walk down the road, how you walk down the path, what your lifestyle is like. And that's a good part of it. But sometimes our thinking processes about how the, the Scripture teaches and what all that means has been a little bit shaky. We need good, sound thinking. And Jesus said, I'm not only the way, but I'm the truth. I'm the truth. And then thirdly, he said, I am the life. And I, I love this one. Um, because I'm convinced, well, let me say it this way. I remember years ago, driving, Dad was driving our 1959 Ford station wagon. We were going out to, um, um, to the Mecca of Lancaster. We were going, you know, we were getting close to the Holy Land out there. Um, and we're having, traveling down a road, and, and this particular 1959 Ford station wagon, the back seat faced the back. And so you were sitting there looking out the back, myself, myself and my brother, and I think my sister was old enough to be sitting back there as well. <clears throat> and we were, we're heading down the highway, going the opposite direction, actually. Um, and Dad usually drove about the speed limit, but one of the things that was kind of interesting is that Behind us, catching up with us, was a, 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 a car that had some Mennonites in it. Now, I know this doesn't make sense to those of you who live in these larger Mennonite communities, but I came from the Jack Pine Savages of northern Minnesota, and we, did, we knew every Mennonite in the state, uh, basically. And so we're, coming, we're going down a road, and here comes the Mennonites. I mean, these people are just like us. These, these have got to be friendly people. They're, you know, we're, we're one with them. They're wearing the veiling and, and, and everything. And so, uh, you know, we're already these two little boys in the back seat. And we're ready for these Mennonites that are coming up. Uh, we notice them coming and he pulls out. And we're back there waving away like it was a storm going on or some kind. And we're waving at these people. And I'll never forget how those people didn't crack a smile, hardly looked at us, just passed us 
like we didn't even exist. I can just remember in my little seven, eight-year-old mind thinking, why, why didn't they at least wait? These are supposed to be Christians. These are supposed to be nice people. These are people who, they would go to my church if they were up in Minnesota, but they didn't even smile. You know, there didn't seem to be any zoe in their life. That's what this last word means. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the zoe. I am the life. I'm the passion. I'm the excitement. I'm the joy. I'm the animation. But there wasn't any in that car. I'm convinced that the more our lifestyle speaks about a holy God, the more our animation ought to go along with it. So when they see a lifestyle that's different than everything else around, they see a smiling person in love with the Lord and his people. If we can't get a smile on our face, let's not claim, or let's not look different then. Might as well look like the world. Because one of the characteristics that Jesus said about believers is that they don't just wave to their friends. They wave to everyone. They're friendly because there's something in them that's alive. They're making contact. Jesus in you, the way, the truth, and the life. So <clears throat> the importance of, of our our approach, our, our um, interaction with the culture around us. It's the only way that people are going to see Jesus. <clears throat> God calls us to arenas of tension. He calls us into battle. We sometimes falsely assume that avoiding battle is godly. But God doesn't equip us with weapons so that we can play rook in the barracks. No, he doesn't equip us with weapons so we can hunt deer in five different states this fall. God doesn't equip us to fly a white flag of truce with, uh, of truce with the apostate people around us that support compromise, divorce and remarriage, immodesty and disrespectful dress, unbiblical ordinations and so forth. He's called us into battle with the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm, we could spend three messages just on those. We won't do that. We aren't going to prolong that tonight. But brothers and sisters, your pastors and your, your leaders here are commanders of a local force of godly people who are to take the beauty of holiness into this community. They're responsible. You all are responsible to teach the young soldiers how to use their weapons for the advancement of the beauty of holiness in this community. You know, faith, zeal, honor to parents, truthfulness. These are the weapons that God wants you to use. Modesty, righteousness, gender distinction, peacefulness, 
gender roles, diligent labor, stewardship of money, etc., etc., etc. Those are the things that are the beauty of holiness that God wants to use. There's stewardship, there's faith, there's zeal. These are the things that we take out. Honor, truthfulness, diligent labor, modesty, righteousness, gender distinction, peacefulness, gender roles. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. You all are not of this world. Let's make it practical. You're not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. You belong to the kingdom of Christ. You belong to the kingdom of God. And so you don't belong to this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should be, not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. The more literally we can understand our citizenship in the kingdom of Christ, the better we will know how to engage with this decadent American culture. This Jesus hath God raised up. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Isn't it interesting that your kingdom, my kingdom, was established on the death of our king? <laughs> you know, every other kingdom is established on the death of the former king. But ours is established on the death of our king. He's the one who purchased our salvation you know, and he gave us the Constitution, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, can be thought of as, as a constitution of our kingdom. It's our declaration of dependence, not really independence, it's a declaration of dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, just some characteristics of the kingdom of holiness, the, the beauty here. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that regeneration. The Spirit's supernatural residence is in you and in me. There's another characteristic of, of, of God's people is a sense of neediness. We don't have it all together. And I heard the brothers this morning in our meeting talking about we need more. We want to grow. We want to continue. We don't have it all together. There's a sense of neediness in this kingdom. There's a sense of meekness Instead of the authoritarian taking dominion, taking leadership, running other people over. No, this is a, a, a way of meekness. It's a way of mercy in taking loss rather than the damaging the testimony of, of Christ. It's the area of forgiveness, praying for enemies, doing good to them. And the idea of non-accumulation. We're not building bigger and bigger barns just to save our stuff for ourselves. I like this particular um, poem by George Holsinger. He says, Jesus my Savior, let me be more perfectly conformed to thee. Implant each grace, each sin dethrone, and form my temper like thine own. My foe when hungry, let me feed. Share in his grief, supply his need. The haughty frown me, I not fear but with a lowly meekness bear. 
Let the envenomed heart and tongue, the hand outstretched to do me wrong, excite no feeling in my breast, but such as Jesus once expressed. To others let me always give what I from others would receive. Good deeds for evil ones return, nor when provoked with anger burn. This will proclaim how bright and fair the precepts of the gospel are. And God himself, the God of love, his own resemblance will approve. That's kingdom living. And we, we're, we're responding like it's talking about over here so that the world will see the beauty of holiness. I'd like to look at some more verses again this evening. Verses that underscore who we are. It says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And, or what part hath, uh, or what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God hath said. Now catch this. I will dwell in them, talking about you, and I will walk in them. Take a look at your shoes. Everybody look at your shoes. Okay? That's what Christ is going to walk in. You just looked at it, right? He says he's going to walk in you, in your shoes. When you walk out of here, it's Jesus walking out of here in your shoes. That's the reality of being a part of his kingdom. He says, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate. Stay away from those unclean things. Touch them not. And I will re receive you. So, <clears throat> let's go on to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Having therefore these promises, let us, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness. Yes. You know, when Jesus entered into your life, cleansing ourselves... Jesus moves into the control center of your life at salvation. He moves into the holy of holies. I think it was um, uh, our brother was sharing, forget your first name, you were sharing this morning. Richard. Richard was sharing this morning about the three different parts of man and the body, the soul, and the spirit. And when you and I became believers, Jesus moved in to the control center, into the spirit. That's where he dwells in each one of you. You're a believer this, this evening, and I trust you are. Jesus is in the control center. You know, there was a war, there was a fight, there was a battle that went on when I was on that throne room, and I was taking control of my life. It was a bloody contest. It was a bloody battle. In fact, it really got bad. In fact, it got so bad that I killed him. You aren't going to rule my life. I'm going to be in control of my life. And I killed the Son of God. I put him on a cross. You're not going to run my life. 
But in his love and in his forgiveness, praise God, he overcame that rebel called me, selfishness. He overcame that and he took the throne of my life. He became the king on the, controlling, the control center of my life. Now he's in the spirit. He's in that inner sanctuary. He's in the bedroom of my life. He is on the throne room. That's what happened at salvation. Well then, that's what happened in the spirit. But what about the soul that's out around that? You know, he begins to work out of our spirit, out of that inner room, out of the bedroom. He comes out into the workshop of your soul. And he begins to change your way of thinking, your way of feeling. It's not instantaneous. All of us struggle with the flesh, right? There's some of that that's still the remnants of having served selfishness before and all those things. That's, we're still working with that. That's the garbage that Jesus is cleansing out of your flesh, out of your soul, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you decide. We're not doing that perfectly yet, but he is in the process of changing. That's what this verse is talking about, perfecting holiness, making it more and more holy as time goes on. Uh, he's not only cleaning, he's also, it's his workshop. He's making things of beauty. He's giving you fathers the ability to love your children like a Christian father should, instead of getting angry at them. He's making you wives respect your husbands instead of rejecting them. He's making you men love your wives unconditionally. He is making works of beauty in there, in that soul. He's cleansing us, perfecting holiness, throwing out the garbage, throwing out the flesh, cleansing us, teaching us how to get rid of that day after day, message after message, conference after conference. He's continuing to cleanse, but he's doing more than that. He's also building works of righteousness that are beautiful. I don't want to uh, make any problems here between anybody, but I've been over there at Air Cabinets, and I've seen some of those beautiful pieces of stuff that come out of those shops, and that kind of gives me a little, a bit of an idea. Now, those of you that work for other cabinet shops, I'm sure yours are just as good, uh, or you would think they are at least, whatever. Uh, but whatever that's coming out of that workshop, it sings of beauty, and it's wonderful. And that's what God is doing in, in, your, in your soul. Um, wow, it's just it's fantastic because we're a part of a different kingdom. We have dethroned self and allowed Christ to become our king, our leader, our, our cleanser, our, our manufacturer. And so he's cleansing out the flesh, the, th the bad thinking, the wrong thinking, and he's creating beautiful works of glory, of righteousness, of beauty. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Think of the beauty of these things. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Colossians <clears throat> chapter 2. And you hath he quickened together with him, 
having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That's talking about justification, how he's justified us, what he's taken care of in the past. Then here in, in um, uh, First Peter, he's talking about sanctification, what he's doing now and what he's doing in the future. It says there, but as he hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of lifestyle. Conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Isn't that a fantastic statement that God would say that you can be holy like I'm holy? How can that be? The reason it can be is because in your inner man, in your inner being, Jesus lives there. And he can't get any holier. And so because he's in you, you are holy as God is holy. Now, we look at our, our soul where there's still being that transformation. We say, well, boy, I'm not really holy there yet. No, we're not. But you're going the right direction. You're being cleansed. You're being washed. And so he can say, be, you, be ye holy even as I am holy. Oh, it's wonderful. There in... 1 Peter chapter 2, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the, the word here is praises, other um, versions say excellencies of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What are some of the excellencies that are going to come out of your lives as you represent the beauty of holiness in this community? You're going to go the second mile to bless somebody. You're not just going to fulfill your obligation. You go to the second mile. You pray for your enemies. You women love your husbands. Um, and, or you, you respect your husbands. You're, you Men, you love your, your wives. You young people, you have character that is so unique and blessed and different than what we see in our world around us. You have pure courtships. You have elegant modesty. You have a hard-working ethic. You have a grateful spirit. These are things that are gems in our culture today. It's beautiful. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they're going to try to make all kinds of excuses to why they shouldn't have to live like you do. But even though they do that, it goes on to say, which they shall behold, uh, I'm sorry, uh, evildoers, that they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. It silences the mockers. Boy, I think we were talking about just this evening. Somebody who... You know, has, has followed, they've got all kinds of problems in their lives. They can't even feed themselves, so they're on government programs, and they, all these different things that are going wrong in their life. And they look at a Christian and, and say, you know, do you really want to be a Christian and have all those, you know, all those rules and all that? You look at them and say, well, hey, you know, I, I don't have near the, many, the, near the amount of problems you do in your life. All the divorce and anger and pain and dependencies and those kind of things. 
the life of those who follow Christ may not be easy because we've got a world that's against us, but within the, 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 um, the camp, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. First John, it says, I have written unto you fathers because you have known him, godly fathers. Oh, what a wonderful place they have in our churches. Godly fathers that love the Lord, are leading their families, teaching them, walking with their children, spending time with them, building in their lives the uh, principles of God's word. I've written unto you fathers because you have known him this from the beginning. I've written unto you young men. He's talking to you because you are strong. You are strong. And the word of God abideth in you and you've overcome the wicked one. Young men, that's you. God's blesses you as dynamic young men that are in our churches because of the holiness and the beauty of holiness in, in um, God's people. And then he goes on, uh, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, it's just divinely fascinating to see how God builds beauty in his church, in his people, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. And then in James it says, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? You know, they don't have anything to teach you, brothers and sisters. They really don't. They don't know how to handle their money. They don't know how to handle their marriages. They don't know how to handle their families. They don't know how to handle relationships outside of their families. They don't, they don't have anything to teach you. The Holy Spirit can teach you how to be an example of of the beauty of holiness in this community. They don't have anything to teach you. Really. Because you have a teacher that's superb to any teacher that they have. Know you not that the friendship of this world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. First John, he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil com- Sinneth from the beginning. For this is the purpose of the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither is he that loveth not his brother. That's why, brothers and sisters, let's stay away from any church split that is not immersed in brotherly love, weeping, fasting, and praying. Those splits are not from God. They do not have brotherly love immersed all the way through it. 1 John chapter 3. We know that we've passed from death unto life because we love what? The brethren. That's right. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. That's not to be named amongst us. That's not going to be something beautiful that we can take to the community. That's why it's so important that you brothers and sisters love each other unconditionally. They're watching. They've seen many of our churches split here and there, and we have defamed the name of God by doing that. Stick with each other till death do us part. 
spiritual death might be the thing that happens with some, but really that's, you know, we do that in our, our marriages. We say, I'll stay with you till death do us part. Jesus said that to his bride. Can we say it to each other? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. There is no place on the earth where our transformed minds and our nonconformity to the world should be more apparent than in our love for each other. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one for another. John chapter 8, And he said unto them, Ye are from beneath, I am from above. Ye are from this world, I am not of this world. You know, the New Testament writers knew nothing of accepting Jesus as Savior and then declaring him to be themselves to be eternally secure without, with no regard to how they lived. No, they knew it was going to transform the way they lived. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. They knew the transformation was a major part of what it meant to walk with Christ. They taught that righteousness is going to replace selfishness. They taught that the beauty of holiness came out of the ashes of the flesh. Every time God removes some of the flesh from your soul, there's new beauty that comes in there. He's faithful to take out the ashes of the flesh and to build beauty where that flesh was. So nonconformity to the world was a visible result, it, but it came from conformity to Christ. It was not an assessment to what the world does and then choosing a different path. No, it was conformity to Christ. <clears throat> we are not of this world. We are a part of a redeemed people who are going to display in this county, in this community, in this state, we are going to display what it means, what the beauty of holiness means. They're going to see it through you. They're not going to see it through anyone else besides the believers. Well, I'm saying there's other churches around. They're going to display it too. But if, if it's going to be seen by the non-Christian world, it's going to be seen through you. It's in your shoes. So again, be sure you put on the right shoes because <laughs> Jesus is going to walk in them as he demonstrates the beauty of his holiness in this community. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we have this tremendous opportunity to, to be called your sons and daughters to represent the, the beauty of your holiness in this generation, in this age, in this place, in this county. Father, I pray that you just weld this congregation together with such a powerful love for one another and a love for you that your beauty just exudes out through all the cracks and, and, and uh, openings in their, in their fellowship and just spills out to those in the, the community around as they take your ways, your life, into the, um, the pathways, the roadways of this community. So Father, we thank you that you trust us with that. It's, it's something that's almost scary to us because of the, 
tremendous beauty that you want us to demonstrate. And we see our own, uh, our own lives where we are short of that. Lord, cleanse us, wash us, clean us, so that it shines so brightly that people can't ignore it. Thank you for being with us again tonight. Guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.